Figure facts for life. We just want you to be healthy. Health and happiness. If you pay attention to what goes in your body, you'll be amazed at the results. Fuel, nourish, and heal your body. Eating healthy. Well, well that's everything. Put the right fuel in. Take care of your engine. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Roberta Janeiro. Welcome to Figure Facts for Life. I'm your host, Roberta Gennaro. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist with over 30 years clinical nutrition experience. I am committed to share my expertise and the expertise of my colleagues in the health profession to really help you understand how to fuel, nourish, and heal your body for good health and a great life. One of the topics I wanted to really um, target is something I've been hearing from my clients in private practice. And they're asking me about intermittent fasting. And some of them are saying, you know, I am not eating. I start eating my first meal of the day at noon, and I have my last meal by 7 or 8, and then I don't eat after that. So they, you know, they think their body is fasting for that longer period of time overnight. So I reached out to Felicia Steger. She is a project coordinator at the Center for Physical Activity and Weight Management, and she's a PhD candidate. She's actually getting ready to... Um, give her dissertation on her study that's dealing specifically with this topic of intermittent fasting. She's at the Kansas University Medical Center. She earned her bachelor's degree and master's degree in dietetics and exercise science at Iowa State University. And her research experience at Iowa State was in older adults, specifically nutrition and physical activity interventions to prevent sarcopenia, and she'll explain that, and including analyzing the impact of vitamin D status on cardiovascular disease markers in this population. And as I mentioned, currently, her research and clinical interests revolve around implementing effective and sustainable interventions for weight management. In addition to working on clinical trials in this area, she's co- she coordinates the Kansas University Weight Management Program and counsels patients individually and in group-based settings. Her doctoral dissertation is comparing outcomes for continuous and intermittent energy or calorie restriction for changes in body composition, diet quality, and diet satisfaction. So I want to give a warm welcome to Felicia Steger. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, there's so much talk, like I mentioned, in the media and between people that, you know, are in my circles about this intermittent fasting. With all that noise around this or all that buzz around this intermittent fasting research and and many people trying it as a weight management or weight loss method. When did intermittent fasting really come into fashion? Well, people have been fasting for various reasons for centuries. Um, So fasting actually is very popular in different religions to teach self-restraint or discipline. Um, Some religions actually do use it for health purposes as well, but it's often more of a behavioral intervention from from that stance. We um, have seen intermittent fasting in the human literature maybe in the last 15 to 20 years. It hasn't been um, been used for longer periods of time in weight loss research, but that has certainly come about with the obesity epidemic as actually using intermittent fasting for uh, weight management. And people use a lot of different terminology for intermittent fasting. Oftentimes, what they're referring to is actually time-restricted feeding, which it sounds like that may be what you're hearing uh, from your patients, where you're just narrowing the eating window. Mm -hmm. And from um, your research and what you've gathered from the literature, are there health benefits associated with intermittent fasting? 
There are. And uh, a lot of the animal studies have given us a tremendous amount of information on how periods of low or no energy intake can impact lifespan. Um, Intermittent fasting can increase longevity in smaller organisms. Uh, For instance, starving yeast actually increases their lifespan by about three times. In mice, periods of fasting can extend lifespan by 20 to 40 percent, depending on the degree of the fast and the length of the fast. Um, Many of the human observations came first from those observing Ramadan, but since then we've been able to uh, research and have found benefits in multiple organ systems. So cardiovascular health, um, endocrine system, the nervous system with cognition and brain aging. So we're learning a lot more about how periods of low or reduced energy intake can provide benefits beyond what we would expect to see just with weight loss. Okay, so explain to our listeners uh, this intermittent fasting, the difference between intermittent fasting and the uh, timed feeding schedule. Just let's focus on intermittent fasting for this podcast, because I think that it's a different ball game when it comes to the uh, timed feeding schedule, correct? It is, yeah. Okay. So, Time-restricted feeding is just um, narrowing that window, but the aim really isn't to change energy intake directly. That may happen just simply by um, people not being able to eat as much as they would in longer periods. But in general, intermittent fasting aims to reduce or eliminate all energy or calories during a longer window of time, say over one or two days. Um, But they have been used in longer periods, even up to a week or two. In general, the way that it's practiced currently is oftentimes two or three days per week, we're really reducing the energy intake substantially. So a true fast is really not getting any energy intake and doing a water-only fast. That works great in mice. In humans, that really doesn't lead to great adherence. It's hard for humans to be able to actually do a true fast. So we implement what uh, is called modified fasting. So you're allowing, you know, five to 800 calories per day, really pushing high amounts of uh, vegetables and some fruits to be able to uh, reduce any potential nutrient deficiencies during that time and really make it easier for people to sustain. I see. So uh, the, are there health, the health benefits that you talked about associated with intermittent fasting, are they statistically significant? That's a mouthful. Are they statistically <laughs> significant as compared to a food-based healthy meal plan that allows for weight loss and improve blood sugar and blood pressure and lipid profiles and a lot of other, you know, wonderful benefits. Um, yes. So we expect to see the same benefits that we get from generic calorie restriction. So just being on a diet that would lead to weight loss provides benefits for blood pressure control, blood sugar, lipid uh, levels. In addition to those, with intermittent fasting, having that break for the body, uh, we see improvements even more so in blood pressure, heart rate, and really uh, stress resistance. So having a, a low energy intake or no energy intake for a period of time actually puts the body into an acute state of stress. So it induces some stress to the body, um, which over time can actually increase the stress resistance response. Ah. Um, So that can provide some some additional benefits. Uh, You're essentially adding in breaks of time where there's little or no energy intake, which kind of puts the body into repair mode. I see. So you're allowing that break, yes. Okay, so for our listeners, then, you know, for who would intermittent fasting really, uh, I guess, be beneficial in the sense of, you know, maybe your schedule is not allowing for that, you know, regular uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner with a couple snacks in between type of thing. I mean, who really benefits from this? Or if the 
if the statistical significance between just a, a healthy food-based plan and intermittent fasting are, you know, there's really no difference, then why would somebody opt to do it, I guess, is my question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it, it should be noted that there are benefits to intermittent fasting, even if the person does not lose weight. And so okay. labeling it as a weight loss diet kind of misses some of those people that we that it may actually work for, just in terms of logistics with the, the eating pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, calorie restriction typically is done with re- reducing calorie a little calories a little bit every day. Um, but that re- requires a level of um, diligence and determination with the plan and, and doesn't allow for a lot of flexibility for what a lot of people feel is, is kind of their nor- normal social pattern. So um, on average, we eat out about four meals per week, and the average restaurant meal is about eleven to 1,200 calories. So just wow. w- adding in one or two restaurant meals a week um, can add in these periods of maybe overeating, but never having a, a time where we're compensating for that. I see. So intermittent fasting allows a little bit more flexibility in the schedule to be able to compensate for some of those um, sort of what we consider maybe a normal a normal foods in the U.S. eating, eating pattern. So right. for some people, it might be easier to do that, right, than having a consistent day-to-day plan. Where right. And, really you know, when you mention the calories that are in, you know, an average restaurant meal, it just reminds me how I'm always oftentimes suggesting that people, um, you know, split the meal in half, share it or take half home because it's just more food than you really need at that one meal, you know, right. by definition. And, and, yeah, go ahead. And it's also in, in terms of volume. So th- those foods are a little bit more dense in calories. So people don't feel like they're necessarily overeating. Uh, so we push a lot of vegetables with our plan because it is very difficult to get a lower calorie intake um, and hit that that calorie range if you're eating a lot of those foods that are much more dense. Right. Well, and, and the pushing of the, the vegetables, I mean, you and I know that the fiber content of vegetables helps to fill you so you don't overdo, you know, maybe the fries on the on the plate or or the potato or, you know, pasta and that kind of thing. So, you know, we're often teaching individuals ratios of carbs to vegetable. And I'm always, you know, kind of doing a two to one, you know, saying go two parts vegetable to one part carbs or starch. And, and, and that way you're going to uh, control the amount and you won't be overdoing it. But let's just talk briefly about the downside of intermittent fasting. Kind of, you were measuring like body composition changes. What kinds of things did you note? And this was, um, we, we have to say that your dissertation is on a six month study. So, you know, maybe something long term would show, longer term would show something different. But yeah. what did you note in that six month study? So, one of the, um, the, the theoretical benefits of intermittent fasting over a continuous daily restriction is uh, a better preservation of lean body mass. So for, when we're losing weight, typically we lose uh, a fourth to a third of that weight uh, as lean tissue or as muscle mass. And then the other is coming from fat tissue. Mm-hmm. We, uh, adding in physical activity can help to preserve a lot of that muscle mass a lot, but there's also some potential advantages from the intermittent plan um, for body composition because of those days during the week where the body is actually getting as many calories as it needs. So 
um, splitting up the calories and having a lower day and then a higher day can actually convey some of those um, benefits. But that's really been mixed in the literature. Some people have found that more muscle loss uh, has occurred in the intermittent plan, but that might also be just because that uh, group may have been having a lower calorie intake overall. I see. Okay. So uh, the one thing I noted um, when I was reading through uh, some of the studies was that the intervention, um, your intervention study you mentioned uh, includes a lot of support and that the participants of the study, share a little bit with our listeners about what the participants were saying um, with the support that was provided in the intervention study. Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, a lot of other research has, researchers are, have done a lot of work in the metabolic advantages. I am a uh, clinical interventionist and behavioral interventionist, and my goal is really whether or not this is going to be a sustainable plan for people to do. So we asked a lot of questions about how this impacted their day-to-day lives, how much they liked it, um, and we, we really wanted to see what are the components of this intervention that make, made this sustainable, um, what were things that they liked and what were things they didn't like. Um, this was a diet intervention, but we, uh, we delivered this within a comprehensive, intensive lifestyle program. So they met weekly in groups. They self-reported their behavior. Uh, they got a broad health education curriculum, and that was uh, from a dietitian. So they were meeting weekly with a dietitian and had that direct support. Um, so while we were testing two different weight loss diets, nobody actually noted that the diet was the greatest advantage of the intervention. They liked the diets. They were satisfied. They would continue using them. But they really appreciated the peer support and the regular dietitian contact. Overall, um, the majority of, of what people listed as the greatest benefit was the support that they received. So as dietitians, we can certainly add some great information for how people can improve their eating. But for a lot of people, they're looking for that social support and regular accountability. So above and beyond, the regular meetings were noted as the best part of the intervention. And for dietitians in other settings, perhaps trying to translate that, um, putting some time into maybe social media support groups or other platforms to be able to provide that support and accountability around the diet changes that we're recommending for our patients. Yeah, I, you know, I started a program this year where I actually have my clients texting me in real time what they're eating, and then I give them like a, an emoji, like smiley or a thumbs up, or I give them some concrete uh, recommendations right there and then. And I have found it to be extremely successful because I think in, in really, in reality, why are people seeking out, you know, fad type diets and that kind of thing when they could just learn how to eat healthy for life through, you know, interaction with a dietitian? So I'm always plugging dietitians on this podcast because I know it works. I practice what I preach and I'm sure you do too. And We know it works and it's so easy and it's so freeing when you really understand how to do it right. And I think if you're, if you're going to consider intermittent fasting as, as a way to lose some weight and for the health benefits of it, that you actually work with a dietitian that has done that clinically and knows how to, you know, instruct you appropriately so you don't lose lean body mass. Because, you know, losing that lean body mass and then gaining the weight back and cycling only is over time going to create more of an issue for you. 
you know, it's just not healthy for the body to go up and down the scale. I just want to thank you so much, Felicia, for joining me today and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. And all of you out there, I want to thank you for listening in on Figure Facts for Life. We want you to continue to listen in and stay in the know on cutting edge nutrition and dietetic information so that you can live the best life. My name is Roberta Gennaro. Have a great day and ciao, ciao for now.